Welcome, everybody, to the August 25th edition of Cascadian Views. We've got the whole crew together, Dan, JJ, and Chris. Hello, Lo. Howdy. Hey. We had, um, well, I'll just say, Tuesday afternoon was a hell of a year this week. <laughs> uh, we had probably the most dense news cycle I've seen in a long time, and Dense with substance, unlike the Nunberg news cycle, which was dense, but ultimately wasn't really about anything. Uh, Manafort was convicted on eight of 18 charges. He hung the jury by a single juror on the other 10 charges. And we know from the jurors themselves talking about it afterwards that it was a single juror that held them back from a full sweep, uh, 18 convictions. Does that mean the government's more likely to retry those charges since they got so close? Uh, well, uh, I might defer to Chris to see if he's got any, if he's followed anything closer on this, but I mean, it's certainly something that they can do. Uh, I believe the judge has given them 30 days to make that decision. Uh, of course, there's another trial that's going to be starting very shortly in, uh, DC with all of, uh, Mueller's other charges against Manafort. So that may be the focus now. They've got him convicted on at least a bunch of charges that by themselves could put him in prison for the rest of his life, and this next batch could uh, add up the uh, stakes even further. Let me ask a small question on that 30 days. That's just to get it before the same judge and with all the infrastructure still in place. They could potentially refile those charges at any point in the future, correct? He wasn't, uh, yeah, he wasn't acquitted, so double jeopardy is not going to attach to those charges. Right, right. The, there, there can still be another trial for that, and probably, like you say, yeah, another filing altogether if they have to, which may not be the worst approach considering the performance of Judge Ellis throughout this case. Seriously, just to get a new judge, I would imagine that they'd refile the charges fresh. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen much treatment of the judge now in the wake as much. I, mean, I was kind of expecting more people to write stories uh, about the judge and the proceedings that I haven't seen at least yet. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to have somebody sane with a gavel in, in this case. <laughs> In there, most cases, yeah. There are some interesting reports out of the jury. Like I, I mentioned, only one juror was able to hang up those 10 uh, counts. The other thing that struck me as interesting, if possibly a sign of bias, is that one of the jurors, by the way, one of the jurors who managed to get to yes on all 18 charges, brought a MAGA hat with him to the courtroom every single day and carried it. <laughs> <laughs> the judge wouldn't let him wear it in the courtroom, but he kept it with him every day of the trial and still managed to get to guilty on all 18 counts. Well, I, yeah, I guess good job on the prosecution as to uh, figuring out which which jurors they needed to strike because uh, I guess they were still <laughs> able to convince him even though he was bringing his MAGA hat every day. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that was... That was my favorite little tidbit from there. Yeah, yeah what, what were the guys like? What were the jurors like that they actually did strike? That's that's something. Wow. I wonder if we'll ever get that information. Um, the Shkreli trial had some great voir dire published. Mm -hmm. 
That was the they couldn't give him a fair trial because he disrespected the Wu Tang clan and he looks like a bitch. Well, yeah. <laughs> I loved those. Uh, almost simultaneously, as this Manafort verdict was being read, and we'll get to what the actual charges were, uh, Michael Cohen popped up in a New York courtroom to testify, well, not testify, but to state under oath in his plea deal that uh, the president directed him to violate campaign finance law, uh, which is huge. It was the front page story of the New York Times the next day, even knowing everything that went down with the Manafort trial. It's arguably the bigger piece of news. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, the uh, the Cohen stuff directly implicates Trump. I mean, the Manafort stuff so far is a little bit glancing. It's, you know, stuff across his career and it provides context for a lot of the uh, other events in the just vast rat king of Trump scandals. Uh, but yeah, most people are going to say, well, that doesn't directly involve Trump. It's like, well, it gives Manafort the motive for his level of participation in the Trump campaign and everything that came after. But yeah, Cohen, he's right there with Trump for decades and saying right there, hey, here's a campaign finance law. And Trump told me, go ahead, <laughs> break it, make these payments, get this done. Yeah, because, I mean, there has to be some sort of critical mass number of very close associates with multiple felonies yep. before even the GOP has to acknowledge that you're probably pretty corrupt. Yeah. I, I think they are. Paul Ryan was talking, this is kind of tertiary news, but during the same block of time all this other shit was going down, uh, Representative Duncan Hunker, uh, Hunter was indicted for misspending campaign funds on the most ridiculous crap, like overnight flights for his rabbit to D.C. Yeah. Um, and a night in a D.C. hotel with a mistress, a hotel called The Liaison, which, oh if God. that isn't purpose oh like, made for exactly that situation, there you go. Uh, anyway, Ryan was talking about these three tsunamis uh, all hitting at once, and he was openly bitching to his staff and apparently a BuzzFeed reporter in the room that this shit makes uh, the Republican Party look like a criminal enterprise. Yeah. I, I do hope that somebody pointed out that to Paul Ryan that he also makes the GOP look like a criminal organization. <laughs> like, he's not, you know, repping a different version there. <laughs> He is implicated. They all are. Now, oh, the the wow. Manafort deal is uh, a little bit notable because he's now gone on the offensive against the president, uh, mostly through his uh, attorney, Lanny, Lanny Davis, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, Trump has tried to strike back, notably arguing that he had no knowledge of any of these payments until after they'd been made, which seems a bold strategy considering Cohen has already released tapes of him and the president talking about the payment before it was made. Who are you going to believe? Uh, Trump or your lying ears? That's that's what it's going to be. Yeah. Truth is not truth. I mean, that tape yep, is that's already three weeks the old record. at this point. Yeah. But, well, I... And just That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah. Well, didn't he also give an interview, I think, within a day or two, 
where he basically trotted out his favorite version with any of these people, but it's like impossible to credit with Cohen, which is, you know, worked on him a little over the years with a few things here and there, sort of know the guy, think I might recognize him in a crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, there's so many lawyers coming in out of his office every day, and some of them have Russian names, and he he can't keep track of all of them. Now, something else Cohen is floating through his attorney is that he would reject a presidential pardon. Uh, yes. Legal scholars are... Uh, I don't think you can do that. Exactly. <laughs> a presidential pardon is not something you can accept or reject. It's something the president does independently to you know, change your, your criminal status. You don't have a right. say in the matter. Uh, this is a much more serious version of, of something that comes up in open source projects. It's... Uh, Actually, an open question over whether or not you can put something in the public domain. It's a legally defined state that something enters into after certain criteria are met, not a license that you can attach to your work. You know, if it doesn't meet the criteria, it can't go into the public domain, no matter what the the artist or the creator wants. This is that, except on steroids. Uh, I don't think that there's ever been this tested by the question, but I, I largely agree with the entirety of legal scholarship that's been on cable news the last week or so saying that that's not how it works yeah and it's becoming also more of a quite or i guess more of a possibility that uh trump really can't get his way out of this with a pardon at this point whether with uh manafort or with cohen uh some of the issue that comes up if he does pardon one of these folks uh manafort especially removes his legal jeopardy, then Manafort can then be compelled to testify or be held in contempt and also put in prison. This Uh, is actually something that's currently going on uh, with another operative. Um, I'm sorry, I'm I'm not following it quite as closely. This might be the one we're supposed to discuss with uh, the Trump Organization's CFO, but somebody in the Mm -hmm. Trump Organization was given immunity, not because they'd worked out a deal, but because the government wanted to compel testimony right it, it, exactly I and mean, it's not maybe they're uh, not there's necessarily charges against them that they know of but yeah this makes it so that uh, they can't just invoke their fifth amendment and clam up and uh, that'd be the end of it uh once once the legal jeopardy is uh, removed then they can be compelled to testify and spill everything or else yeah be put in prison for contempt of court or, uh, I mean, the other possibility, especially with Cohen, I think, at this point, is that, you know, all the crimes that Cohen has committed, not just federal co- crimes in some cases, there's probably plenty of evidence for state crimes in the state of New York that he could be charged with as well. So he's still in a position where he probably needs to be cooperating with uh, prosecutors or find himself, uh, yeah, doing a lot of prison time. Uh, you know, Jeff- Manafort is... Well, I was just going to say Manafort is in exactly that same state because every single one of those tax violations applies to state taxes as much as it does to federal taxes. Right. Uh, what is the the Virginia tax situation? Are, do they have a state income tax there? Yeah, I, I think most states do. Um, I'm not in this. Well, I can verify oh, yeah, that in no, a second. No, they're, they're, they're yeah, so, yeah, if he avoided paying federal income taxes on it, then he certainly avoided paying Virginia income taxes. 
I was so, uh, going to yeah. mention that Zephyr Teachout, of all people, a name that would be familiar from a race a, a couple of years ago, uh, is in mm-hmm. a, a very strong position to be New York's next attorney general. Uh, there have been a lot of media pressure to get her to take up the case, especially media pressure from yeah. centrist Democrats who see this as a, a bonding moment. Uh, they feel she would be the strongest candidate for the party. She's making an explicit statement that she will pursue with every power of her office state charges against Cohen in order to specifically avoid any ability to to pardon. Yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be the criteria for anybody that is going to advance in the uh, New York Democratic Party primary for that. It's just... It's the way that you unite all factions, whether you've got Cuomo people or more left-wing people. They're all going to want to get after Trump. Yeah, who knew that Zephyr Teachout would be our kumbaya moment? Mm -hmm. Uh, JJ, why didn't you tell us about the CFO since uh, you're the one who's most up on this, I think? Also, maybe the pecker thing, if you feel like clarifying that, too. <clears throat> oh, I mean, to be fair, I uh, I didn't remember either that well, <clears throat> other than that name. For some strange reason, it just lodged into my head. I couldn't, uh, it just kept popping up. Just uh, as always, I'd be happy to talk about pecker. You always would, Chris. Always. Um, so Alan Weisselberg, who's the CFO of the Trump Organization, was granted immunity by federal prosecutors. Um, so he testified before grand jury earlier this year. Um, trying to remember what he, if it says in this Hill article, what he did, though. Well, I guess not much. Probably just invoked the Fifth Amendment, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I believe this is the guy they were talking about being uh, granted immunity in order to compel testimony out of him. Okay, gotcha. I thought I had a better article than I did. Yeah. I, I think there's a better Wall Street Journal article behind yours, but I'm not going to give money to the... Uh, uh, what's his name? Ray. Mm-hmm. So now Chris can talk about his favorite, uh, you know who. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I hear you're a pecker expert, so why don't you tell us what's up? <laughs> Always happy to. Uh, <laughs> I avoided so many pecker jokes this week, too. I mean, so many more that I right. could have made. Well, that was your first but... mistake. <laughs> But now, now we got Pecker Corner. We need to get a sound effect for the lead-in. <laughs> that, that is <laughs> so this is actually fairly consequential. He is the, um, I don't know if he's the publisher or the CEO, but he is the senior person at the National Enquirer, which throughout the campaign was conspicuously extremely pro-Trump. You know, they're actually friends, and the Enquirer, which normally would be happy to fling dirt at everyone, was running these glowing pro-Trump stories and hitting Trump's opponents wherever I could, you know, starting with Republican opponents in the primary. Do people and then really continue read against the Enquirer? <laughs> like, like, seriously. Yeah. I, I thought that was up there with, like, Weekly World News and Bat Boy and all that shit. 
Well, I mean, Weekly World News is, you know, a fine institution that, yeah, does basically parody news, but Inquirer is more like celebrity gossip and stuff, so... I mean, yeah. I, I've known they've broken at least one real news story. There were the guys who got to the bottom of uh, John Edwards cheating on right. his wife. But I, I yeah. thought that was, like, the one thing they had ever done. I thought the rest of it was just, like, made up who's got anorexia in Hollywood lists and shit. Weren't they also all on, uh, you know, Jennifer Flowers back in the early 90s? I thought... Sure they were. Maybe them or the star, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, God, that's a nut. I can't believe tabloids like that have circulation. I live in a complete bubble. I've never in my <laughs> yeah. life picked up a copy of The Inquirer or The Star. You well, need to join the rest of us in real America. <laughs> I, I have read the finest news source on the planet, the Weekly World News. I used to love that shit. Yes. I miss that. Mm -hmm. I guess the thing about the Inquirer is you can't, um, you know, all these people who talk about the death of newspapers, fair enough. You don't really see a newspaper unless you try and see one. If you go through the supermarket, <laughs> you see these tabloids. They're right there at the checkout counter. Everyone is seeing those messages, whether they're consciously <laughs> absorbed Exactly. And it was, someone actually put up a graphic uh, uh, last week just listing all of the coverage of the election that uh, the Inquirer did for most of last year. And it's brutal when you see it all in one place. Yeah. Like, after the primary, every week it was, you know, Hillary about to be indicted, Hillary going to jail, Hillary on the brink of death. Hillary had, you know, so-and-so murdered, and it was week after week after week. Like, and that was, yeah, QAnon stuff. Exactly. And, yeah, that was what you saw every time you went to the grocery store. You know, the last message you would see before you uh, went to the checkout, you know, whether or not you uh, put much stock in it or not. And, you know, if you might have been more on the right-wing side of things, you might incline to put more stock into it. But, yeah, it was absolutely there, and it continued after the election, except suddenly it was, you know, hero Trump does this, hero yes. Trump facing down the deep state, hero Trump identifies the spy and the you know, government, all that, uh, until, yeah, about last uh, April after Cohen got raided, and then suddenly it just stopped. Like, yes. No more. One of the things that strikes me as a little weird to this uh, is they granted immunity to, to Pecker, probably to get testimony, I would imagine, Cohen's already pled guilty to this. The only other person involved is Trump. It's Trump, Cohen, Packer. Cohen's right. pled guilty. Packer is immune. They're going after right. Trump. There's no one else to go after in the string. That's true. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's, I'm sorry. I'm just stammering, but that's absolutely right. You know, but that kind of puts it at a quandary because you at least the Justice Department has said over time that he can't actually be indicted. So what are they going to do with it? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. There is some discussion of that happening in the ether. Um, apparently the Trump camp is worried that the Justice Department is going to do what they did during Watergate, which is compile the list of everything that they would submit for an indictment and hand it to the house just yeah. a stack of stuff there's also i guess a, a third way possibility that was being talked about where uh, a court might be inclined to grant the indictment but put proceedings on hold until the end of the president's term 
And the mm-hmm. fact that you have an indictment hanging over your head might be something that spurs the House into action. Yeah, or they, I guess they could, you know, file the indictments and then see what the uh, courts do with it. You know, whether the court actually decides, okay, the uh, Justice Department rules are correct and we're going to put these on hold or put put the proceedings in abeyance until after he's no longer president, you know. But yeah, I think that's probably the most they can do, really. I just, with Cohen, the, the president, I should say, was not directly identified. Cohen testified in court that it was a candidate for federal office, and his uh, guilty plea includes facts stipulated by both him and the government that make it unquestionable that individual one is Donald Trump. Uh, they don't ever actually use his name, but they refer to the fact that by January 2017, individual one had become the president of the United States, which greatly, <laughs> yes. greatly cuts down the number of people it could be. That is so great. <laughs> it's just like so typical of this whole process. Like, it's stupid Watergate, just to the hill, to just what John <laughs> Oliver calls it. It's it's so fitting. Exactly. It's yeah. Watergate on steroids, was how it was uh, spoken by one person, or Watergate, but quicker. I mean, mm-hmm. Watergate was not a thing until the second year of Nixon's second term. He had been president for six years at that point. Uh, and it was a story that broke over the course of years. I mean, it was honestly years of gig- digging by Woodward and Bernstein before it came together. Right. This all is happening at a much more rapid pace. Uh, yeah, hence stupid Watergate, because everybody <laughs> is much more stupid. <laughs> yeah. And you also had active congressional investigations at that time, too, which, you know, certainly not really getting here. I mean, you've got the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee, and that's been it. Yeah. Uh, the president has ramped up his attacks on Jeff Sessions, too, to the point where mm-hmm. Lindsey Graham is basically telegraphing the fact that he will not be attorney general much longer. Yeah. And doesn't seem at all the least concerned about that. In fact, says uh, the president deserves an attorney general he has confidence in. Yeah, you know, it was uh, last summer, you know, Lindsey Graham was yelling about how you know there would be hell to pay if uh, Trump fired Sessions, so... Lindsey Graham's a guy you want in your corner. Lindsey Graham definitely seems to be in the minority, though, because there are a number of Republican senators who are basically saying that they would not confirm uh, yeah. an attorney general nominee if Jeff Sessions is fired. Yeah. I, I think mostly they just don't want Trump to put them in that position where they have to. Now, but they would. Yeah, they, they would. I mean, they'll vote for Rudy Giuliani. They'll do it. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, the president would be able to appoint a temporary attorney general, but there are two hiccups to that. One has to be somebody who's already been Senate confirmed to a different cabinet post, and two, that person would be ineligible to be the permanent attorney general. So it would have to basically just be a hatchet man to go in, kill the uh, Mueller investigation, and then never do anything again. That was. Yeah, that was. Uh, that was Bork. Bork. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm like logistically speaking, that's probably all you're going to have time for anyway, because then the whole House of Cards is going to fall. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll we'll move on from the investigation topic, unless there is something else anybody wanted to to mention in here. 
Well, I guess the only thing, other thing to mention about Packer is, besides my wanting to say that again, <laughs> is <laughs> one more time <laughs> that we know that he had um, done one of these catch and release things, basically, where there was a story damaging to Trump that they bought the rights to specifically, so it could never come out. But the the strong feeling is that there's many more of those that he may have his hands on. So we may be finding you know, de facto campaign finance violations times five or times 10, mm -hmm. if he really talks about all the material he has. Yeah. All that and the underlying scandal. Yeah, right. there's, there's actually a lot of underlying scandal going on that we are completely skipping over. The the doorman, a couple the, the love children. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that would bring down, like any other president and we're not even discussing them because it's in the context of something way more shitty That's, yeah, dude he could be breaking bad in the white house and people would be like ah man i don't know there's still some weird stuff going on <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding jj like if there was a meth lab in the white house and that meth lab had equipment that was sourced like russia or something we might not even be talking about the meth. We might be talking about the laboratory equipment. Jesus. Yeah, that, you're right. It's just, it's Stephen Miller's office. It's fine. No, <laughs> nobody talks about it. Everybody knows he smells weird. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> oh, I'm good for sending uh, Giancarlo Esposito in there with a box cutter. That's true. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Stephen Miller and white supremacists in general, I think we should touch on uh, the fact that Steve Scalise decided to get ahead of the curve and tell people he uh, may have accidentally given a talk to a white supremacist group, you know, as one does. Oh, yeah, that was going on this week, too. Uh, everybody hanging out with white supremacists. Uh, that was the other thing that was kind of rushing through the news as all the indictments and well, not indictments, but convictions were coming in was uh shit his name uh totally just jumped out of my head uh larry speechwriter no 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 larry not not speechwriter uh oh that guy got fired too yeah that guy got also fired. hanging out with white supremacists but larry kudlow the uh chair yeah. of the president's council of economic advisors uh let slip on tuesday that he had a uh, white nationalist uh, over for his birthday party that weekend so i guess you know just is it everybody clearing the air like, oh, yeah, I met with a Nazi uh, a couple weeks ago, a couple days ago. Just everybody, hey, raise your hand if you've been hanging out with Nazis. Or is it like so open that they're the new clowns for like Republican birthday parties? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Like, like he was like, we didn't read it correctly, but he was actually bragging. I will never forgive my parents unless they bring a Nazi to my super sweet 16. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm imagining like that scene from that Steven Seagal movie. It's like instead of the stripper jumping out of the cake, it's a Nazi. Yeah, happy birthday, everybody. <laughs> yeah, white supremacist sweet 16. Happy birthday. The Holocaust never happened. And you know what? With Steven Seagal's recent work, this may actually get made into a oh, scene. Oh, God, it could. <laughs> Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Scalise at least possibly has a decent excuse. But this happened when he was all hopped up on medication after getting shot. Like, maybe he wasn't thinking clearly. 
Unlike I mean, that's I mean, but he's got a staff. Like, yeah. Nobody. Like, I'm not actually thinking he went to talk to white supremacists because he got shot. Let me be clear there. Because <laughs> I, I do try and find common ground a lot. This is not one of those times. I'm just making a joke. <laughs> right, like, I mean, he's got, I guess, what what some people would consider an excuse. I, I don't Which, actually even know if the time frames match up. Well, I mean, I, I know I myself have kind of held back from talking about it too much because of because of the shooting and his whole mm-hmm. you know his whole health status and everything but he has multiple times spoken before groups that were extremists or that have even been classified as hate groups by the SPLC like this isn't just this is part of a pattern yeah, this was but just those maybe are more just groups that the SPLC that. calls hate groups. This one's a real hate group. If you're a Republican, right. you'd know the difference. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, we're going to see the Justice Department actually declaring the Southern Poverty Law Center a hate group before much too much, too much longer. They are trampling the on voters. the rights of people who want to hate Jews. How do you not see this? <laughs> heritage. It's all about heritage, not hate. Uh, all right. I guess we'll we'll move on to our our last real national story before we actually no. We've got a couple more. I forgot about all this. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff happened. Yeah, I had not scrolled my topic list far enough down. Uh, what do you guys want to do? DNC machinations or Kavanaugh story? Ooh. Uh. Well. Which one first? Uh, I guess uh, I can talk about DNC real quick. That's good. All right. So the uh, DNC is meeting this weekend in Chicago, and they made an announcement. It kind of been something that had been telegraphed a few weeks before, but they have reached a big compromise on two of the big uh, gaping wounds from the 2016 presidential primary, uh, the issues of superdelegates and the issue of uh, caucuses. Uh, Superdelegates, of course, are uh, party officials, elected officials. I think that's mostly it. Uh, just people who are important within the party. And there's since a, the there's 80s, some at-large delegates who are basically just yeah. given out as a favor uh, if you're a big right. donor or something. But they have drastically cut those down. Them. Yeah, they've been culling those at least for the last few cycles. But it's been a feature in the party since the 1980s. These uh, other people who are not elected as part of the primary process get to weigh in on the uh, presidential primary. They get to come to the convention automatically, don't have to run against anybody. And it became a bit of a sore point in the last election, especially as they were breaking for Clinton uh, pretty much 99 to 1 uh, throughout the uh, pre-primary process, kind of giving her a big... uh, I guess, headline lead in the delegate count as things went along, even though these are all folks that were entitled to change their mind at any time and there was nothing really pledged about their decisions. They just endorsed Clinton at that point. Uh, So the DNC's made this uh, resolution, or I guess it's a full-on rule that they've made, changing uh, how the primary process is going to work from now on. But now these folks will not actually get a vote on the presidential uh, nomination uh, unless 
unless uh, they come to the convention. The convention is deadlocked. So you get, it's been decades since this has ever been even a thing, but it used to be that you'd have lots of you know, delegates showing up to convention and they wouldn't have made the decision in advance. And before that, they weren't even electing delegates at all. These were all just kind of party hacks selected in back rooms and they all would show up at one you know city, whether it was Chicago or Los Angeles or Miami, and that's where they would show up and make the decision on who the party was going to nominate for president. So anyhow, uh, if, uh, if all the delegates that are elected show up and there's no majority for any one candidate for president, then they go through multiple ballots and they're generally released from who they were originally pledged to vote for. And in that case, then these super delegates will get a vote. But uh, until that point, you know, if someone gets a majority of the pledged delegates, that will be the end of it. And in, in practice, that's basically been the case as well. I don't think we've had an instance where the superdelegates ever voted against the person who won the majority of the pledge delegates. But uh, this makes it official that they're not going to be there to overrule the decision of Democratic Party voters. Uh, the other, Unless uh, they're needed to overrule the decision of Democratic voters. Well, not a, not a majority decision, though. I mean, people show up and everyone's got a plurality, then somehow they're going to break the deadlock. And I think that's where they're going to come into play. I, it's a weird dichotomy because there are actually two times where they get to, to have a say in it or where they get mm -hmm. to vote when it actually matters, when the sides are deadlocked when nobody gets a majority or yep. when it doesn't matter and somebody's already locked up a majority of total delegates just in pledge delegates yeah so i'm not sure so much what the point of even having them in name is other than just to let these people automatically come to convention and be on the floor because uh, it's sort of this the situation where you know originally the thought is that they could be in place to uh overturn a bad decision made by the voters. I think that's been a lot of the argument for keeping them this time. Like, say, our own version of Donald Trump ends up getting a majority of the uh, delegates, you know, say, Michael Avenatti or someone like that. Then, you know, the thought was that, you know, superdelegates could come in and say, whoa, 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 you guys need to make a more reasonable decision. Uh, have you tried some Joe Biden or something like that? But... Uh, <laughs> No, that, 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 I guess that can't happen under these new rules. You so. know, I've, uh, I've always been a fan of kind of a plan JJ spouted off in our, our Facebook group like two, two and a half years ago about mm -hmm. just only super, the only superdelegates we have are federally elected office holders, representatives, senators, president, vice president, and statewide mm -hmm. office holders, governor, secretary of state. It would cut down the amount tremendously. And if you combined it with something from this where they only get to vote if no candidate is able to get a majority, I I, I, I really like that idea. Get rid of these, like, 700 delegates or whatnot. Just strip it down to the 350 federal plus state office holders that the Democratic Party has and only let them get a say if, you know, it's a three-way race and nobody gets a majority. Yeah, that, yeah, that wouldn't even be three hundred people right now, but that's that's the state of the Democratic Party at the moment. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I mean, then what I like about the tiebreaker vote too is that uh, you know it it gets rid of what 
you know, my side argued was a big issue during 2016 of uh, the the advertised intention. Hmm. It's that there was so much support early on and it was very vocal and it was from the party leadership this is where it was going to go that you know it presented a certain picture and a certain you know extra stuff to work against right that this yeah. just gets rid of that's not an issue they can have their opinions it, it that doesn't change but it does change the the public narrative and how we talk about things leading up to an election Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead, Dan. I was just saying, the other thing that was decided, it's you know kind of been paired with it, is actions to curb the use of, of uh, caucuses in the uh, presidential nomination process. And here, the party didn't really do that much. I think what they did was they uh, passed a resolution that said that state parties, if they do use caucuses, they should at least allow people to vote by absentee. Just kind of required to accept required. absentee votes, according to NBC. Yeah. So that is at least one change. Uh, I think a lot of state parties are actually making the move away from holding caucuses anyhow. Uh, Minnesota was one of them. Uh, so right now, Washington still on paper. We are uh, scheduled to have a caucus and we are by far the largest state that's going to do so, but at least our state party is moving in the direction of actually switching that out for a regular voting primary. You guys have I a think, regular voting primary, it just doesn't count for anything, right? Not for the Democrats. For the Republicans, it does. I, but, I uh, thought yeah. Hillary won the Washington state primary vote in 2016, even though it didn't yeah. count for any delegates because Bernie won the caucus. That's That's exactly how it shook out. Although, I think... The Washington primary happened after the yes. nomination was basically decided. So, yeah, I mean, you know, what, take take that what you will in terms of, you know, what that would have meant for uh, the actual voters' decisions and what they really wanted. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, hopefully that is the message that gets through to these state parties because caucuses are terrible. You know, as a way to vote, you know, it, it's bad we... Uh, highlight when you know some backward state uh, doesn't put enough uh, precincts in or doesn't put enough voting precincts in an area and you see lines where people have to wait hours and hours and hours to vote that's basically a caucus except it's by design you know the whole thing takes you know two to three hours before you can do anything else uh, they have it you know it might be on a weekend it might be on a weekday uh, it might be at a time when lots of people have to be working, but if you uh, want to vote, you have to devote, you know, two to three hours of your time. You have to do it in public, so there's no secret ballot. Uh, it's, yeah, it's vote suppression, really, to actually you know, require all this uh, to go in place before someone can vote and have their say. So if uh, people take the cue from the National Party and start uh, getting rid of these, then I'd say, great, you know, make the Democratic Party Democratic. All right. Uh, and then let's talk about Kavanaugh briefly. It seems mm -hmm. like he's getting railroaded through for a September confirmation. Uh, one of the last hopes on the Republican side, Senator Susan Collins from Maine, facing a surprisingly tough re-election fight that nobody saw coming. She's polling very badly against uh, generic Democrats. 
largely over the Kavanaugh issue, if you believe the polling that the DCCC is putting out, or DSCC mm-hmm. is putting out. Uh, she met with Kavanaugh, who told her that, in his opinion, Roe v. Wade is settled law in this country, and uh, she said she's good with that. He won't, you know, do anything bad about abortions, and she's on board. Uh, I, it's so, so stupid. So mm-hmm. stupid. He, I don't understand how Collins gets rolled on, on these things all the time. At least Murkowski kind of sticks to her guns about things. She might be hypocritical, but she's hypocritical in getting carve-outs for Alaska, which is basically her job. Um, yeah. The ACA <laughs> repeal, they got her vote by promising not to repeal the ACA in Alaska and just do it for the rest <laughs> of the country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's hypocritical, yeah. but she's bloodthirsty. Yeah. Collins is just like, oh, you know, they said some words. He showed me some pictures of his family. It's cool. Let's do this. Yep. He's a great carpool dad, you know. Yeah, uh, I think I think some of that's probably a little bit by design. You know, she's ideologically inclined to do things this way. She just has an interest in being seen as someone moderate and someone that uh, might be willing to vote the other way. I mean, she was less inclined to uh, vote for Democratic things back uh, in 2009, 2012. Usually it was Olympia Snow that you know was the more potentially gettable vote. Snow actually for, voted for the Affordable Care Act in committee, even though she voted against it on the floor. Exactly. But Collins, it's about, you know, I, I, I'm not sure she's the sucker. I think her voters are. <laughs> yeah. Would not surprise Definitely. me. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, Possibly both. Yeah. Now, my other point to bring up on this uh, is a little less uh, likely now that the other news that's breaking today we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, with McCain not in the Senate, McConnell's down to 50 Republican senators. There was a, mm-hmm. a plan being discussed among some some thought makers in the Democratic Party that if they could get all 49 Democrats to, you know, not show up, they could deny a quorum to the Republicans. The constitutional requirement for the Senate is that it needs a majority to form a quorum, 51 mm-hmm. senators. Uh, Dan, you poked some holes in that plan almost immediately. You need somebody to request a uh, or indicate the lack of a quorum. Uh, the Senate right. presumes it's in quorum at all times unless somebody actually asks them to check. Uh, so they'd need to lose another Republican senator. But it, we're running out of any ways to stop this. It looks like Kavanaugh's getting railroaded through. Yeah, I, I think the best you can do is keep trying to push to actually have some real hearings and have his uh, previous writings put on the record at this point. But yeah, I'd say Murkowski's probably the last possible holdout and i don't think she's gonna do that no she's yeah. not yeah. yeah i mean they they can't promise her anything for alaska on this one she's she's got nothing <laughs> to bargain with <laughs> not really yeah there's nothing she wants out of it yeah she's she's got a fall in line on this one yeah and you know that well, it's going to lead to me probably saying a lot of I told you so's back to people in Alaska who voted for her in 2010 because, you know, it was really important that we have a moderate there. Uh, would, there was a three-way race where it was she actually lost the uh, Republican primary in 2010 and had to run as a write-in candidate in the general. And she did so 
almost pretty overwhelmingly with Democratic support. There was a Democratic candidate on the ballot, uh, actually a good friend of mine. The guy from but, Sitka, uh, I remember, right? Yeah, the mayor of Sitka, Scott McAdams. And uh, yeah, the well, a lot of the major people in the party, not like the official party itself, but pretty much everybody of may, of real importance dropped him. Just, just say everybody like me? No, well, no, 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 I, I wasn't. I, I, yeah, exactly. Everybody got on board with Lisa Murkowski, and uh, that really was the end of it. You know, she was able to win primarily with Democratic votes. Well, I mean, there's a little bit of the Republican was horrible. Was isn't that Joe Miller? That's Joe Miller. Yeah, yeah. that was Joe fucking Miller. Yeah. I, I there's a certain uh, understandability of the tactical voting there. I'd rather have Lisa Murkowski than Joe Miller, and I'm pretty sure we were going to get one of them. Yeah, but maybe he would have been short-termed, and instead she continues. They kept Ted Stevens for half a century of a family who was terrible to that state, and just like always, kind of be crap. Yeah, I do and... not have faith in the Alaskan voter to vote out shitty, corrupt assholes. They kept yeah. Ted Stevens for That's forever. I, I think what's right. his name, Don Young, is still in the house, and he's yeah, as he corrupt is. as they come. Yeah. Well, what, what there is, though, is a history where Democrats end up winning statewide races in Alaska basically by plurality when the Republicans shoot themselves in the dick. Or when the AIP nominate... comes around again. Exactly. I mean, that was, what, 1994, you had a three-way race, and yeah, that Knowles was... was able to win with plurality. And then in 1998, they nominated uh, a basically guy with mob ties who— uh, Nobody had really done any deep background checks, and so you know, had all this horrible criminal record that was showing up as the course of the election went on. And so they ended up running a uh, third party, you know, suit a you know, moderate Republican in the general election, splitting it three ways again. But not which, the Republican moderate party, which is yet another third party. Another split, right? Uh, but yeah, so in those circumstances, Democrats have won. You know, so I would say if you've got Murkowski and Miller splitting things up, things could have changed if that were the way that institutional Democrats basically went. So, yeah, uh, we'll uh, wrap up our national section then with the breaking news of the day: Senator John McCain passed away at four twenty-three uh, Mountain Time, I believe, in Arizona. This afternoon, mm. uh, this was kind of a long time coming. Although he just refused all treatment yesterday, that's when they they cut off medical treatment. Uh, yeah. I posted a link to an article that's a little bit dated now in the Washington Post uh, about how, as McCain is is dying, he's now dead. But this was written beforehand. Uh, Trump won't say anything nice about him. He refused to use the guy's name when signing mm -hmm. the defense appropriation bill named after him. Yep. Uh, and even even after his death, the president tweeted his heartfelt condolences to the guy's family, but at no point said anything nice about the senator himself. Uh, and yeah. the, the tweet is very un-Trump-like. I have like 99% confidence that was written by a staffer. Trump made him rewrite it several times until it was utterly clear he wasn't saying anything nice about Pekane and then <clears> let the guy hit the send button. It's, it's it ridiculous. Uh, offensive to McCain and his family as the staff will allow. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, shoot, that was that was the first thing that was supposed to end Trump's presidential ambitions was uh, when he insulted John McCain and said he liked people that didn't get captured. Was that so, before yes. or after he mocked the disabled reporter? That was before. That was before. way back. Oh, okay. Like, in the first month, like the first few weeks after he came off the escalator, and that was, you know, attacking John McCain was supposed to be the end of Trump. And then it was not. <laughs> uh, we were going to... Uh, I think the suggestion was at least kind of a, a top five, bottom five moments in McCain's career. But something mm. I noticed late, right before we did the episode, I, I posted up there is uh, Mittens, Mitt Romney released like a high point of, of John McCain, you know, a, a list of the best things about him. And it's it's a surprisingly good list in terms of, you know, the things that I think about when I really think of what mm -hmm. exemplified McCain in the positive. Uh, he he flat out refused to be released from a torture camp in Vietnam. Uh, they were going to let him out the Viet Cong where they thought they could curry some political favor. McCain's dad was an admiral. His grandfather was also an admiral and happened to be secretary of the Navy for a while. Uh, he was basically a big deal, even though he was a young man. And they mm -hmm. tried to let him go. And McCain, up front, asked them if everybody was leaving. When they told him no, he reportedly walked back to his cell and closed the door himself. Uh, that takes a lot of courage, and I think a lot of respect for the men that you serve with. Uh, it, it's always one of the things that comes to mind when I think of McCain. You know, there's very few things that I would like to be defined that happened in my 20s that I want to define my entire life by. But uh, for McCain, that's that's definitely the case. Uh, Mittens also touches on the. Uh, the way that he very gently removed the microphone from a supporter of his who was saying some just terrible, nasty things about Obama. She can't trust him because he's an Arab and a Muslim. And uh, very forcefully corrected her that he was not an Arab, that he was, in, in fact, a, a very good Christian, and that he was a good man. Um, it was one of the only times I think I've seen a Republican actually push back against this this recent turn in their party. And I think it, it says quite a lot about McCain. And I think it's something that personally touched him. One of the famous things that happened in his 2000 run uh, in the Republican primary against uh, W was uh, Karl Rove initiated some push-pulls. McCain, as part of the effort to normalize relations with Vietnam, um, adopted some Vietnamese children that had been orphaned. Um, I don't know the full stories, but if I recall correctly, there were orphaned by military action. Um, he, he took these children in, started making appearances with them as part of his family. By all accounts, he loved these children. Uh, Karl Rove started doing push-pulls in South Carolina, which was a big state for them at the time, asking, uh, you know, if you found out that John McCain had fathered illegitimate children with a foreign mistress, would you be more or less likely to vote for him? Uh, this pissed him off greatly. Racism has... I, I think, been one of the things that really does uh, irritate McCain, and he takes action on. Um, the other things Mickens mentions was uh, the, the reapproachment after the election between him and Obama. Uh, McCain wasn't there for everything. He did not vote to pass the Affordable Care Act or whatnot, but he did a lot to legitimize the president, uh, especially across party lines, when that sort of racism and hate could have taken over very, very quickly. Um, and the, the final things that, that Romney mentions is, and this is one I actually found very interesting that a Republican choose to highlight this, uh, and I'll just, I'll quote its entirety. 
uh, voting his conscience in the face of his party's universal condemnation. Uh, integrity, duty, courage, and great character combined with John McCain. That was the vote to save the Affordable Care Act. Um, that It's strange to me that Romney would A, call that out, and B, praise it specifically for being taken to the universal condemnation of Republicans. Just thought that was interesting in there. Well, at the same time, he doesn't have the balls to actually mention it by name. You know what? I actually hadn't really thought that about that. People are going to fill in the blanks. Yeah. I, I had not processed that, JJ. You're, you're actually right on that. Huh. That's, well, that, that, that says more about Romney than. Yeah. I mean, McCain that's. So much, but yeah. 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 No, that's, that's not about McCain. That's, that's all on mittens. Yeah. Fair. Um, the other thing that I highlighted, and JJ, I believe you highlighted too, was. Uh, campaign finance reform, McCain-Feingold, where he paired with progressive icon uh, Senator Feingold of Wisconsin in order to pass these limitations on corporate money in in politics. And it it was passed, uh, although the Supreme Court, through three different decisions, twice they nibbled away at it, and then in Citizens United, they just took a knife to it completely um, and, and got rid of it more or less entirely. One of the reasons they did that, at least I feel, is that it was it was fairly effective at getting dark money out of politics. Not, you know, 100%, but in cutting it down, 100%. Mm-hmm. And yet, John McCain confirmed every single Supreme Court justice that killed his own bail. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and voted against uh, probably most of them that... Uh, what if voted to uphold it? Yeah. 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 He probably didn't think he was doing that at the time, but yeah. yeah. Uh, some other ones that that JJ you brought up was uh, the Bush tax cuts. He voted against those. They passed anyway, fifty-eight to thirty-three. Uh, mm-hmm. He was one of the only voices on the right who spoke out against waterboarding, uh, notably because this was one of the things inflicted upon him when he was being tortured in Vietnam. Uh, so, yeah, there were some pretty low moments, though. Uh, Palin, you, yeah. you said that was a high moment, JJ, but I'm gonna go ahead and say that was hilarious. A low. I, I think, I think McCain himself probably disagrees with that. <laughs> I mean, yes, it, understandably, on, on a long enough timeline, I think we are in part in the darkest timeline now, and with 45 as the person they are. Mm-hmm. In part because of the road that Palin and McCain paved. Yeah, Palin she was not McCain's kind of top choice. Uh, yeah. McCain wrote in his memoir that just came out a few months ago, actually, that she was a hail mary. He took his mm-hmm. first choice that was vetoed by his own party was he wanted uh, Joe Lieberman. Lieberman. Yeah. yeah, he he told the Which, Republican I mean, Party he wanted Lieberman. Gotten him elected either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd, not against Obama. I don't think so. If it had been somebody not else, in, that may have been more of a, yeah. a poll. Not in 2008. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was also the savings and loan crisis, uh, which is kind of ancient history now. But in the late 80s and early 90s, a staggeringly large number of savings and loans, which are uh, kind of like credit unions, except less banky than credit unions. You... In, 
save money. They're neighborhood organizations. They make house loans, car loans with it, and then distribute the profit back to the people who have invested with them. Yeah, Bill Bailey, you know. Yeah, um, there were a group of five senators who quashed an investigation into uh, Lincoln saving and loan uh, that would have put up some early warning bells that all this was going on. I, I believe like two-thirds of savings and loans in the United States ended up collapsing at the height of the crisis. Um, and these five senators were later brought up by the uh, the Senate Ethics Board. McCain was the only one who was fully exonerated, although uh, he was thoroughly trashed in the report, which questioned his judgment and basically said he was hanging out with and putting stock in and listening to advice from some incredibly shady people and he should know the fuck better. Uh, so it was not at all, you know, peaches and cream for him uh, at all, and it shows terrible judgment. I do, in the interest of being fair to a dead man, want to point out that he was not one of the people who was actually raked in the coals and kicked out of the Senate. Uh, there's some other ones there, too. JJ, you highlighted uh, it a little bit of love for Pinochet, I guess. Yeah, he, he had yeah. a love for authoritarian military regimes crushing people under the boot heel of whatever. I mean, I guess of capitalism, really. But yeah, he supported the Contras. He met with Pinochet. Um, he supported the invasion of Iraq. Which, to be fair, like yeah. 99 out of 100 senators did. Oh, yeah. sure. I just, you know... Oh. I threw it up there because everybody's all on the like the big maverick kick and right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and you get to more recent times. It's basically every war you can think of, and a lot that never actually happened. I mean, there was a lot of hysteria that Hillary Clinton was going to start a war with Russia, but uh, John McCain was rattling that saber all the way back in two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah. John McCain never met a military engagement he was not ready to vote for. Yeah. I, yeah, I find myself more accepting a military engagement than a lot of people here, but I still think you need to be pretty circumspect about what you want. Uh, yeah. Like Syria, 100%, I think, as soon as chemical weapons were deployed, we should have been in there. Uh, totally. And I... Letting it go on just breeds more. There have been four strikes now since that first one. We're up to five. Mm-hmm. Like that, I, I feel like we could have quashed that in, in the gut. I also feel like some sort of response to Russia annexing Crimea was warranted. Uh, but definitely, McCain just liked to go on, on fishing expeditions. You know, knowing that you have a hammer as a tool in your toolkit... That is appropriate for some cases. Does not mean that every single problem is a nail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shit, Brock. Like, I'm, I'm not averse to military incursions at all. I'm just a hundred percent averse to the manner by which we do them. <laughs> yeah, I think if we fair. actually wanted to kick shitty dictators out of countries, fucking bomb them to the Stone Age. I don't <laughs> give a shit. But every goddamn day, we see a country that democratically elect somebody we just don't like or he didn't shop at our Gap Mall. Yeah. And so we're just like, oh, <laughs> fuck him. Yeah. Bomb his ass to the Stone Age. Let's find this really crazy guy who's been tortured in, like, a gulag for 20 years and he's hyped up on methamphetamines and, like, venture capitalism and put him in office. That's... 
That's really why I don't like American military incursions. That's, uh, that's Stop also... the payments. You're fucked, uh, Saddam Hussein. <laughs> You're right. That's one of the biggest problems, I think, when we go in and we choose sides in sort of a civil war, is that vengeance makes a really bad emotion to be governing from. And this mm-hmm. is kind of the same reason we don't let crime victims decide the punishment in, in courts. Like, yeah, I don't... I don't think we should be picking one side or the other and putting them in power so they can kick the other side's ass. Right. Me is yeah. not a way to reach a stable country. Uh, anyway, uh, best wishes to John McCain. His daughter is also frustratingly uber conservative on some things and actually a decent person on other things. So the the family you know tagline seems to be going forward to the next generation. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll move on to our only real local story this week, uh, and that is the the gun uh, ballot measure up in Washington, I-6... Yeah. 1639. 1639, one, yes. Yes, this was the one I don't know if we talked about on the show, but a, a rather conservative court pulled it, because uh, it had the ballot text printed on the back, I guess, which is not right. okay for some reason. Uh, hold on, I'm, I'm reloading the story with the, the Supreme Court has uh, weighed in on this. But yeah, it's been kind of Schrodinger's ballot initiative for the last month. The gone Supreme back and Court forth. utterly dodged, though, on this. Just like, by the way, yeah. I want to remind everybody, they completely dodged a couple months ago when they were like, no, this state official has to decide, even though there's no basis for that in state law because we don't want to do anything about it. In this case, they punted completely and said that there is no no way through state law to judge the constitution constitutionality of a ballot measure before it's voted on. Right. So I guess the thing is that if it gets if it's approved by the voters, I guess then there will be almost certainly another lawsuit by uh, the NRA and other gun rights groups and. Then they'll have to decide, I suppose. So, yeah, that's kind of weird about, uh, I guess, uh, well, they want to let the people have their say first. And I guess if the people say no, then they, they don't have to worry it. about it. Yeah, that's, there. There is I a little bit of fair. news in Oregon on a gun measure as well. Um, not a gun measure, but gun policy. Uh, yeah. After the Parkland shooting, I believe it was, there was a a movement among a large number of gun retailers to move the age to 21. This is the same thing that this measure in Washington is trying to accomplish. Oregon is a bit strange in that we have age discrimination written into our constitution and don't only apply to older people. If you are treated differently on the basis of your age, it's a a equal rights uh, violation. Mm -hmm. And Oregon courts have now weighed in that uh, prohibiting 18-year-olds from buying assault rifles is age discrimination. And, and not acceptable. Yeah. And are allowing uh, people denied assault rifles or semi-automatic rifles from sporting goods store to sue for damages. Yeah, I, I guess wow. if you're following... The constitutional analysis there checks out. Uh, right. But, yeah, that results in kind of a not-great policy. If only we could have had the same shitty age discrimination definition as the rest of the country where you are only covered if you're over 45. Right. 
so this gun measure up in Washington, uh, does it look likely to pass? Well, we've recently passed some other uh, gun regulations that are arguably, I'd say, even more sweeping than this one back in 2014 when they passed the uh, universal, uh, yeah, basically universal background can't, no uh, gun show loophole bill that went uh, past, I think, 55-45 in what was probably a high-water mark conservative year in uh Washington elections that still passed pretty handily so I uh, I think this has a very good chance it's you know probably doesn't go as far and it's you know going to be a much more democratic year in Washington state so yeah I'd say these reforms which yeah will limit the access of uh, very young adults from being able to purchase uh, semi-automatic weapons and was that the only thing? I think, uh, okay, several other changes. So uh, mandate training, uh, more background checks, and then waiting periods. And it would uh, require you to keep firearms secured at home. Yeah. Which is something yeah. the Ninth Circuit Court has already weighed in on and said they're okay with, although other circuit courts have not been okay with it. And the Supreme Court for the last you know two or three years has just refused to take any gun cases. So. Yeah, it's been longer than that. I think it's been nearly 10. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time since there's been a, been, a, been a big gun case at the court, so this might generate that in a few years' time. If they're okay with the circuit split already, I can't see anything change. Unless maybe they think one of the guys they're getting confirmed will be a swing vote in something. Mm, I don't know about a swing <laughs> I'd say Kavanaugh's probably going to find that, yeah, this is some kind of horrible deep state imposition on the Well, yeah, but the guy he's replacing are... already thought that. Yeah, Kennedy was fairly libertarian, uh, and he did. He was with the majorities in Heller and uh, Chicago. So, yeah, I suppose, uh, yeah, there's a good chance that he's also going to. It's not something that's changed, at least in the composition of the court. Yeah. So, right. well, let's go ahead and wrap this week up with uh, what we're following, and I'll let uh, Chris go first. Ah, well, um, I am kind of wrapped up in local politics here. We had our primary recently, so now we know who our who our candidates are for our state house district. And uh, meanwhile, our Senate district, which had looked like a non-issue, has had two independents who are basically Republicans file at the last minute. So there are two uh, really well-established local people who are contesting the same seat that a Republican is contesting. <coughs> that a Democrat has just retired from. So we've got a lot of local politicking to take care of. You've been really involved on the local races up there, and I, I'd never heard about this des, uh, district twinning thing before you started posting about it. Uh, district twinning? Twinning. Twinning, they, yeah. They twin you oh, with a uh, yes. sister district? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's... um. That's one of the uh, really useful things that I think a lot of these outside groups have been doing in this election cycle is, you know, if you're sitting in San Francisco or you're sitting in Vermont, you're not worried about your representative. And so you think there's, well, I guess there's nothing I can do. Okay, we'll give you something to do. Put your uh, activism time into electing someone else in another nearby district or sometimes not even a nearby district. 
Yeah, I think you were uh, stumping for somebody down like Tennessee or something. Um, they paired us with two Pennsylvania races. Pennsylvania, two, okay. Yeah, two Pennsylvania state legislature races. Fantastic. All right, JJ, what about you? What are you following this week? All right, I'll give you guys my uh, usual doom and gloom um, story. What, three days ago, um, the former Facebook security officer, I put this on the Cascadian Views page, uh, that it's too late to protect the uh, 2018 elections. Um, in terms of people trying to eliminate folks from voting rolls, tamper with unofficial vote tallies, or modifying election websites can just bring about chaos, confusion, and an overall air of illegitimacy that uh, continues to breed a population and a circumstance where about half of our country will always think that every election is stolen no matter what. And at that point in time, we don't really have much of a democracy left to defend. So, you know, scary stuff. Fun times. Yeah, sobering. There we go. <laughs> All right, Dan, how about you? I'm looking forward to being able to breathe. Uh, it finally rained in uh, at least our corner of the far northwest. So uh, for those of you who are listening from beyond Cascadia, Washington has been in a cloud of smoke for about a week, week and a half now. It's been just terrible. So wildfires finally passing over, or at least let's hope. So. Yeah. Uh, Seattle actually surpassed Portland in terms of bad air quality the other day. We had been mm -hmm. hovering as the fourth worst in the world. Uh, Seattle rose all the way up to the third worst in the world. So congrats to you guys. Well done. Woo! Uh, I'm going to nerd out a little bit. We are still roughly four or five months away from the second season of Star Trek Discovery, but there have been a lot of trailers coming out. The Enterprise is returning under command of Christopher Pike, Kurt's predecessor. It looks so amazingly good. I've been rather impressed with Discovery so far. It got off to a bumpy start. The first, eh, the first few episodes were pretty bad. Um, and then it really seemed to hit its stride late in the season. Uh, and season two looks like it's going to pick up right where it left off. I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. Seeing the original Constitution class Enterprise with uh, a little bit of an updated look and feel. Nothing nearly as drastic or as uh, canon changing as say the the jj abrams enterprise from the movies uh mm -hmm. and i'm just I, i'm loving every second of it we we keep getting leaked out shots of the ship and the crew uh coming out on a steady drip i just i cannot wait for january when the, the new season starts uh the guy that they got to play pike in this iteration is anson mount you may know him as black bolt from marvels and humans uh he really seems to fit the character well and i'm i'm super stoked so that's what i'm looking forward to more information about Discovery. Yeah, that's an awesome show. It really is. Uh, they... Been, yeah, really loved it. it. I've loved all of the mycelial stuff they did in the first season was boss. They, uh... uh it it kind of had a rocky start, like I mentioned. They The original showrunner was forced out, but not until, I think it was like the first six episodes were completed. Uh, so there's a he also has a, like a really bad track record. I think that we're gonna find out that he's a really terrible alcoholic or cocaine addict pretty soon because he's been kicked <laughs> off of three shows he's show running right now. 
That's hilarious. He's running American Gods. Uh, he did Hannibal. That got canceled. But yeah, he got kicked off of American Gods, kicked off of Discovery. There was something else he joined, and before they even started working on it, he got kicked off. <laughs> I can't remember what that one was. That's really funny. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm really stoked on this. It, it had a lot of a lot of bitching and moaning from fans of the original series, um, which is something they always do, and I'm guilty of it too. I, I used to trash Enterprise when it was out because it was was too different but looking back at it now that's actually a fine show especially by the time it got to the fourth season um and then it, it's got a little bit of the alt-right pushback the same thing that uh the last jedi got treated to and whatnot but it's 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 a solid show and it's really doing wonders uh, i've been enjoying it i'm glad here you like it too jj yeah for sure i i definitely i like that it feels like a very different star trek show yeah. i like the exploratory sciencey feel for it all you guys are selling me. I have, yeah. which is completely shocking for my demographic. <laughs> I, after the uh, wait, you have not seen this, Chris. I I, I haven't either. Yeah. Oh, what the I fuck? Saw the part of the intro it is that kind of hard to find. You have to pay for CBS All Access yeah. if you're in America. Yeah, so that's what sort of enraged shit, me. Really? And put me into a wait and see mode. I, and yeah, it's super worth it. And CBS okay. is expanding their Star Trek holdings in order to anchor CBS All Access. They've got four more shows coming out for a total of five, one of which is The Return of Picard. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> in old Picard. Picard in yeah. his elderly years. But, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, especially because Paramount... Old man Picard sitting on the bridge of the Enterprise, shaking his fist at the stars, telling them <laughs> to get off his bridge. Paramount's about to lose their license uh, for their alternate timeline Star Trek, the the movie series. Um, they have to make one every, I think it's three years. Otherwise, the license reverts. They have not, in fact, Kirk walked away from negotiations. Kirk is not coming back. Yeah, both Chris's walked away, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're, and then, they're a real dearth of Chris's. On top of that, nobody was buying J.J. Abrams Star Trek merchandise. They were only buying... The CBS Star Trek merchandise, the like, you know, Kirk, Spock in the traditional TOS or Picard, Worf and TNG or whatnot. Nobody was buying the J.J. Abrams stuff. And they went to, to, to CBS trying to ask them to pull their merchandise off the shelves so that they could actually make a profit. And CBS told them to go fuck themselves, basically. <laughs> yeah, so it by all by all accounts, Paramount, uh, when they're when they don't have a Star Trek four ready in time is going to lose the license and CBS will once again be in full control of Star Trek once more. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Thanks for joining me this week, guys. All right. Have a good, week. Have a good night, guys. Have a good one. Good night. Good night, everyone. All right.